Welcome to the J5 Encounter Podcast, where we explore matters of faith through aspects of sports. My name is Thomas Smith, and I'm happy that you're listening this day. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo recently came under fire from some Christians when he explicitly stated that the flattening of the curve in New York to stem the tide of the COVID-19 pandemic was not due to any divine intervention, but rather was solely due to the work of New York citizens. I gather with limited contextual information that he wanted to ascribe human credit, but also expressed anger at the prospect that we could ascribe glory to the agent that either allowed this to happen and or is not taking the liberty and responsibility to stop it. But there's no fairy tale hocus pocus magic man in charge of the deliverance of humans from the evil of natural disaster and plague. Let's take the time to unpack how this affects the way we could think and commit our time, especially during our stay-at-home orders with the help of some sport context. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this time with you. We look to your wisdom and providence as we navigate this world. Hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, you are able to sustain all those who call on you for these things. And we pray you hear us when we call out in this way. In the name of Jesus. Amen. This session isn't so much about Governor Cuomo, but more so, what do I personally and others mean when there is success and we thank God for things and say that God did it, etc.? Having a circumstance like a pandemic certainly challenges our worldview and the foundation of what and why we believe. It is common to hear a reference to God when listening to athletes after an incidence of success. I think that it is easy for skeptics to raise an eyebrow, though. Would he be saying this if they lost or if he fumbled the ball? God loves people on the other team. Why didn't he bless them? Does God really care about a trivial athletic event? And so forth. If anything, we have time now to sift through what is stated, what was stated here, or better yet, what are we really saying when we say? Sometimes athletes and members of the general public, when given a platform, grab the narrative, thank God, and it seems that Cuomo attempted to provide a different narrative. But what can all of us hold on to as a pillar of truth, an expression to be examined? Perhaps we attribute recognition to the positive outcome of a superstition. However, it is important to establish that the battle for the narrative is beyond surface superstition. From the severity of a pandemic to whether someone hits a free throw in a rec league championship game, It is proper exercise to consider the dynamic of the intervention of God. In the complexity of the skeptic, or in this instance, the Cuomo model, God does not intervene, or is there even a God? But for others, 
at least who are open to the possibility of God, it is legitimate to consider how and why, what is really being said and what's happening, and is it God or you? I think that we find an instance of what a great man of God that I knew referred to as the doctrine of both. Whereas the Cuomo statement or general skepticism wants to separate the actions of man from the intervention of God, what we can find is a combination, an interworking of the two, which can span all life activity. A psalm of the Jewish King David gives us some insight toward this issue. Psalm 18 starts and says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. We find that David initially credits the Lord. His posture is to give glory to God. Now this is somewhat dramatic because the context of this psalm is that David is at war with his enemies. We're trying to establish more of an everyday perspective, but let this go where it may. Now, verse 24 picks up and goes, So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure, and with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. But you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down, for it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness, for by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. This passage brings out a truth that the benefit, byproduct, result of a posture toward the sovereign God is his involvement and his ultimate glory. But it is interesting that David alternates between what God did and what he did. If I may, my first varsity collegiate race was the 55 meters indoors at Dartmouth. Having walked on to the track team, yet thinking that I was pretty good, I entertained the folly that I would not lose to a white person. You can imagine what happened in this race as I was soundly defeated by more than one white sprinter. Accepting the lesson that all our athletes, all our competitors, preconceptions are dangerous, work to be as fast as you can and compete. I was afforded a rematch when the Dartmouth team came to Brown for the outdoor season. In the blocks for the 100 meter dash, the gun goes off and the race started the same as the 55 with the Dartmouth runner well out in front. <laughs> 
but I happened to close a good three to five meters in the last 10 to 15 meters to win the race, which was the first time I ever won like something like that on an individual scale. I gave a fist pump and maybe yelled, yeah, and I remember hearing the Dartmouth runner not being pleased at my display, stating, wait until help, heps, which is the conference meet. Anyway, my coach came up to me and asked, how did you do that? I replied, the Lord said, everything done to prepare you, enable you to do what you do, God can control. Yet, you go out and do it or not. It is true that you actually do it or can do it, but at the same time, it is safe to say that God is responsible and that he did it. Thanks be to God. The thing, though, he intervenes on behalf of believers and non-believers. Whether you made or missed the free throw or got a hit or struck out, God intervenes. Perhaps not as much toward the outcome as in magically making the ball go through the hoop, but that ultimately his purposes will be achieved and or his glory ascribed. There are biblical ways to think about this. Sometimes God alone is the one that does it. The Bible lists a number of miraculous phenomena from healings to the bending of natural laws. Since these times, people have also testified to miracles that they have seen or experienced. The greatest of them is the transformation of the human heart, and only they can tell that story. A good example on the perspective of reconciling man's ability with God's intervention in things that can happen can be found in Galatians 2.20, which states, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Here, recognizing the person as an open vessel, the sentiment is that he, she has died and the resurrected Christ lives through them. So whatever they accomplish, it is essentially Christ through them. Or, Colossians 3.23, which states, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. The sentiment here is that their motivation and inspiration come from the Lord. So essentially, what they accomplish, God has done through them. But I would be remiss in leaving out an aspect of God's intervention that we could consider negative. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 23 states, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools 
and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This passage goes on to list sinful actions of humans, and we see here how God intervenes and addresses sin in this world. So his purposes for holiness and righteousness will be achieved. By all means, we do things. By all means, humans accomplish and are productive and bring about wonderful works through creativity, scholarship, or service. But at the same time, there is God's intervention woven into this ability. Governor Cuomo does not have the right to declare his statement as true, for he cannot speak to the motivation of all the people in New York, nor the mind of God. The citizens of New York should be credited for their work for flattening the curve. Yes, they all did bring the number down. Virtual high five. Rather than a magical fairy tale where a good spell was cast to avert the devastation, it wasn't wishful thinking on a star, but to definitely state that God did not do it is inconsiderate and ignorant to the depth and substance of faith in God. My hope is that the statement is birthed from questioning God and pain rather than spitting in his face. With David's life on the line, he doesn't seem to blame God, but entreats him for the deliverance. Yet, he is equipped for the battle, dare I say, to do it himself. My prayer is that men do not let the problem of evil distract them from a view of eternity. An atheistic worldview has no answer, and there are serious consequences for being in limbo regarding what you believe and how that motivates how you live. The immediate tangible evidence of God's intervention is not always apparent, but while there is time to think and your heart is willing, I wish for you to consider God's intervention in your life and know that it, if God is able to prepare a man's hands for war or make him run like a deer, that he can minister to the soul and quench the thirst for life if we would press in and seek him. So, as we close, to you who may not be of faith, I hope to shed light on this situation and reclaim the narrative. You are invited to consider the glory of God and how he intervenes with more depth than mere magical superstition. The Lord invites you to his table. He says, come and buy food without money. To you who believe, Continue to celebrate God's exploits through you, big or small, careful to give him the glory. He is worthy. Psalms 5.11 says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield.